Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Sharina Perry to the show. Sharina Perry is a serial entrepreneur with a long history of starting and growing new ventures. Sharina perfected a patent-pending plastic alternative formulated into compound plant-based resins using crops farmers plant in regular crop rotations. Utopia Plastics helps solve the problem of plastic waste, carbon emissions, and promoting agriculture. Utopia's compounded plant resin allows manufacturers to use their current equipment as they produce the sustainable alternative plastic products that the world is demanding. Sharina, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Raj. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show today. Sharina, I'm very excited to speak to you. And before we dig into Utopia Plastics, I have a quick question for you. Tell me about the nickname Reroute. So um, a manufacturer locally, he, um, when I came in and I introduced the idea of using a plant-based material in creating their film, he said that, um, you know, as he was watching move through the process, he said a lot of people come in there with to them and they offer different projects. But as he watched me through the journey, he realized that I would never stop um, pursuing what I believed. So I was grateful to him because as I would run into challenges, he would be willing to have an authentic conversation with me so that I could really address those issues and resolve it. And so one day I went in and he told me that they had, he talked about the kind of the running circle. And he said, because it seemed that every obstacle I ran into, I didn't see it as a stopping point, but I saw it as rerouting and to turn around and or to just do something different so that I could keep going. I love the visual of the reroute. Where does this drive, this tenacity come from? Um, I would say that that was really just, I knew early in when I was a young girl that um, I never believed that I had any barriers to be able to do what I wanted to do or what I believed in. I found myself, even as a young girl, extremely convicted. So I also had this thing of we look at people accomplish great things in our lives. And I kind of had this thing that could always be me. I never thought that I was limited in some way. Um, so I never put those limits on myself. And I really worked to not allow people to put limits on me. And I tell people I feel like I always work to challenge myself to my own greatness. Do you feel like this is a personality trait that you were born with or is this um, nurture your parents? I think even if we have something, I think we all have something innately in us 
that's a thing that drives us. Um, I'm not shy to say that I feel like I'm very much in touch with the spiritual person that I am. But I think even what we have in us, it's important that is nurtured by the people that are around us, the safe places, the people that speak life into us. And so when I was a young girl, that looked a lot like my father and my uncles, because here I had great men around me that, I mean, I'm older now, but when I think about them, you know, these men are in their twenties and here this little girl who would ride in the car with them and they would remind me how smart I was, how I could do anything. They were kind of like cheerleaders for me. So I think that that was an integral part of it. And then my grandfather, even as I was a young girl, would always tell me that I was going to change the world and there was something special in me. And and he would he identified gifts in me. He would use them. But also in my elementary school, they I feel like people when I was a young child always knew that I needed to be challenged and that they gave me the space to use my gifts. I really appreciate you sharing that. Now let's switch gears to Utopia Plastics. Can you share with the audience what Utopia Plastics is and your role at the organization? Okay. Um, Utopia Plastics is the plant-based alternatives alternative to your traditional fossil fuel polymers. The key part of it is that there's two elements of Utopia Plastics. Utopia Plastics NRIP has the ability to create a polymer with an extremely high plant load, but there's also the ability to create and alter and affect some of the properties of your traditional fossil fuel polymers by adding our technology that then moves to be able to make them more eco-friendly. I am the founder and the inventor of Utopia Plastics, and um, I'm also the developer of the Utopia model. Now, let's talk about being the inventor for a moment. I had the good fortune of doing some research. You're not a chemist not an engineer. How did you invent this product? So remember, inventions are always by having an idea. It's a belief in something. That's how things start. And now we find ourselves in a space where we can find the right people. But I will tell you, I started studying plant material more to develop a health and wellness line of products on Really, I was um, started studying because my nephew was diagnosed with neurofibromatosis too. So there was that element. Fast forward, I was looking at this global issue of plastics and what we were seeing in my life. I always used to draw out when I was a young girl, solutions to world problems, and I called it my utopia. So when I developed my company, Utopia, it made sense like we would be really solution driven and work to not create problems. So this issue of plastic waste, companies like um, some companies like Starbucks, McDonald's had made announcements that they were doing away with single use plastics. And then you were seeing more and more places the, as these bans on plastic grew, you would see more and more places 
implement use of paper. But to me, that wasn't really a holistic solution. And I felt like we would be using solving one problem, but not taking a holistic approach because trees help us for the reduction of carbon. So now you have paper products that are now moving in to take a greater market segment, but we're now affecting our environment in a worse way. Also, if you're an area or a state or a country that depends heavily on manufacturing and plastics make up so much of the space, what is that manufacturer going to have to do in order to stay in business? He's either going to have to modify his equipment or the worst case scenario, he ends up laying people off and people lose their jobs. So, I mean, I know this sounds bad, but in my mind sitting there, it's like we affect human life to save whales and sea turtles. And while I don't reduce the importance of saving whales and sea turtles, was there perhaps a solution that was broader that didn't have a negative impact on anyone? So I sought to, I had been studying plant material. I had learned that there were crops that could be used as an alternative to petroleum, cotton, and wood, and that feasibility studies had been done on them by the USDA that dated back to almost um, more than 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And so seeing that, and if these studies had had been done, there was proof that it was possible. So I started doing research and finding out, even though these studies, people weren't really doing anything about it. So I decided I was going to use this plant material to make a straw in my kitchen And the goal was, if I could make an impact with this, perhaps we wouldn't have to use wood. Um, Perhaps we could use plants, but also the crops that were used, there were benefits of it. And so the crops that we use could literally spearhead an economy and create an economic impact for farmers, for local communities. Now the farmer is growing the crop to make the products that we consume on a daily basis. It seemed to be if more people would join into that type of model, then we could really be sustainable, really have solutions that helped our environment, our society, and our economics, the more companies that decided they were going to participate. So I made a paper straw in my kitchen, and much to my surprise, the straw, when I put it in cold liquid, it hardened. And so if it had that reaction to cold, it must be a reaction to hot. And so I took it over to the pot. Um, I was boiling beeswax because that's what I had coated it in. And it actually hardened in the pot of beeswax. I mean, I'm sorry, it didn't break down, not that it had hardened. And I knew I really had some. So fast forward, I reached out to Hoffmaster, who had acquired Aardbark, which was the largest producer of paper straws in the world, and asked them if I had this made in the paper made to the scale that they needed, would they make it into straws and then do the testing? And my goal was, I knew Aardbark from the article when Hoffmaster had acquired them, them, 
that um, they were having issues with keeping up with the supply and the demand. So this would be an alternative and I felt like it would be a healthy alternative. And so that was the paper portion. But I also knew, okay, if I could get, if they had this reaction of paper, I could also do it in plastics. And so I started working with the local manufacturer and I was able to be connected to one of the leading polymer chemists in the country to talk about additives to the plant material that were good bonding agents. I had done some research, so I asked them about the ones that I thought. Um, Working with the manufacturer, I had my ideas of additional binders that would be used. Of course, the manufacturer that I was working with here, the plastic manufacturer, they have a chemist that works with them or an engineer, and they had ideas of the bonding agent. But that really, that bonding agent really didn't work in a way, the best way. So then I got with a compounder and gave them the formula that I believed would work and they tested it and it worked. The only thing is there were some kinks that would need to, we would need to address some things like moisture, um, abrasion, several things with plant material, um, it being the fibrous being a, the brittle nature of it, there were some things we had to address. So he then connected me with one of the chemists who helped develop the intellectual property with a major petroleum-based polymer com- chemical. So that's really, I was able to be connected to the pe- right people in the right spaces, and they believed in what I was doing, and so they supported my efforts and got behind me. And that's how I ended up with the polymer. So you've made it sound very easy so far. How long did it take you to get to the first straw? Well, um, when I made the first prototype in my kitchen, I made it in um, October of 2018. Then I had some samples of polymers that were made, basically different types of products made in March of 2019. And then the straw was commercially produced. The paper straw was commercially produced in June, July, 2019. Then um, February of 2020, I had developed a compounded resin. We then had some other issues that um, while we already, we had a product that, and we were able to produce products, I at that time, I made, had a manufacturer that made cutlery, a manufacturer that made a bag or film. I had a manufacturer that made a container. I had a manufacturer that made a straw. Basically, our goal was to prove that our material could be used in applications beyond just using it in an injection mold. I feel like I knew I had kind of won a victory when I was able to use plant material in blown film without breaking the bubble. And by August 2020, I received notification from our compounder and after the final testing that we then had a stable product that was ready to go to market, a resin. Well, congratulations on that. Some of these conversations you've had with these major manufacturers, did they take you seriously when you first reached out to them? I think that um, the good part about it is we were already, sustainability was 
preceding us. People were looking for Mm -hmm. alternatives. I will say just in being realistic, I probably have been asked more questions than a person would typically be asked that um, maybe if it were a major company or who they view to be the expert in the space. But once they had a conversation with me and connected me with the engineers, I found it very easy to have those conversations and people began to open their minds. There was an educational element to it because people are used to operating in the rules that surround your traditional fossil fuel polymers. So that was a little bit of reprogramming and training to be that, you know, imagine using paper now in your plastic manufacturing. So you're actually talking about a different type of material. Then once manufacturers started testing it themselves, they were definitely at that point, you know, able to see it. We of course have a lot of information out there. We've been transparent and open about sharing our journey. We've had manufacturers that give their report and their insight and how the ease of using our materials. And it it truly is a drop-in solution. So a manufacturer doesn't have to make any major modifications. So I think actually seeing the product, but I think that's going to be the case almost um, when there are barriers of entry to exactly what you said in the beginning. I'm not a chemist. I'm not an engineer. I am an African-American woman in a space that's not typically the representation that you see. So I don't really try to fight those stereotypes because I learned a long time ago, sometimes you have to just show people that it's possible in order for them to believe. And I have throughout my entire career been in spaces and excelled in spaces where the people don't look like me. Let's talk about stereotypes and molds for a second. What's the journey been like as an African-American woman in this space? I think that kind of what we started talking about earlier about, was I born with it? Was it something that was kind of inculcated in me or that people nurtured in me? I've always believed what I could do is possible. So when I would run into people that perhaps gave me pushback, I just always felt like they weren't ready to receive it. That if I kept going, I would find the people that were, that understood it. I also knew I was always good at explaining my why. I um, tell people because as an African-American woman in my family, Mm -hmm. I am a first generation dreamer. My parents were workers. Um, So to have an opportunity to make an impact, I, I had to be willing to be in uncomfortable spaces. I had to be willing to not exist in the barriers so that when I got in those spaces, I could leave the door open for the people behind me and perhaps be the reason somebody would dream or believe differently. It was not easy. But again, if I fought that, it would discourage me and could potentially cause me to stop. 
If you believe in something, and I believe this, if you believe in something, you have to stand in believing that void of anybody else. Because if your belief is through the lens of someone else, you'll always be discouraged. You'll always find yourself discouraged. Um, but if your belief is in your what could, drives you or you are convicted, you'll accomplish everything you set out to do. Let's talk about leaving the door open behind you. Can you speak to the extension programs you're working on? So for me right now in this space that I am in, in Oklahoma, I am so grateful for the Oklahoma Innovation Model, members of the Oklahoma Department of Commerce, Oklahoma Center for Science and Technology, the universities for their support. Because what they did was they came out as a group, Manufacturers Alliance, they came and saw a material ran and they asked me how they could help me. And I shared with them my experience and I asked them to take the baton and assist because there were other people like me that were driven, but didn't know how to find the resources. They didn't know how to gain the access. And if they simply were intentional about putting it out there, that those people would come and take advantage of it. And so then we would be able to see entire different dynamic of community, of diversity and inclusion and opportunity. And I'm pleased to say I'm watching that occur right now. I'm taking seats in the right rooms. I'm on our Governor's Minority Business Council that works to help create legislation for access to resources and opportunity for different minorities, being on the Council of Advisors for our state chamber for to help impact legislation as it's written, to be on the board of uh, Sustainable Tulsa as we move and we encourage people because sustainability isn't only about, um, it's not only about our environment, it's also are we creating an equitable space for, and also this equity for opportunity that we have to be willing to use our voice? And so for me, it's how can I help that extension? How can I be that bridge? How can I use my platform and my voice to create an opportunity? And how can I make sure I'm in the right rooms to do that? So I accept those invitations. And I make sure that I'm not just there to have a seat, but that I'm really there to add value. And I'm watching the impact in our communities. Well, Sharina, I applaud your efforts. It's fantastic work you're doing. You Thank know, you. Earlier, you mentioned your why and your nephew. I think you said it's neurofibromatosis. Is that correct? Yes, neurofibromatosis too. They have not found a cure for tumors. And... um what I found when my nephew was diagnosed with it, my sister, his mom, transferred it to him. And my sister got it from my dad as a, a effect of Agent Orange or a development from what they're uncovering from Vietnam. So now today, my father is affected by it, my sister and my nephew. Now, that's a pretty strong why for what you're doing, but how does it align with the creation of plastics from agriculture? Because in developing my ultimate goal, Utopia Plastics is a vehicle 
And so sometimes in, um, in when you stand in your why, ultimately my, my goal is to create health and wellness centers that allow people that suffer from different things to be able to go into that center and get a health and well, let's say they have a x-ray, they have a, a report or a condition that they're able to get a health and wellness product that is customizable to them and to really provide a solution. I do believe that the solutions for mankind exist on our earth. Um, I believe that we can find out and uncover what those are. But like with any health and wellness product, for you to be able to make claims, for me to be able to do what I desire to do, there has to be some economics associated with it. I have a dear friend that passed away not long ago, and his name is Brett Rodriguez. His family is um, the Bacardi family. And Brett Rodriguez had an organization, um, babyheart.org. And I've had a lot of time to spend and talk to him. And he was a major, um, he was a major encourager and mentor for me. And he told me, Sharina, never be afraid to make a lot of money. You can be philanthropic and profitable because you're going to need a lot of money to do all the good that your heart wants to do. And I understand that. And that also means there has to be vehicles that help make the help create the resources to make the impact that I want to do ultimately for our communities and our society. There are four driving factors that I feel like should never be compromised if we move to a healthy, healthy society and healthy communities. And that's our family, our health and wellness, our education and our economic development, that we must stay for, focused on those four elements. So ultimately, that's what drives utopia is the sense of community, the holistic um, approach. And I am grateful that something that can make an impact like utopia plastics on a global scale could help be the vehicle that drives me to what my heart wants to do. That's an exciting vision. What's the most valuable lesson you've learned about yourself on your journey? The most valuable lesson that I've learned about myself in this phase of my journey is that it really is my race, that in our lives, we have our race. We have something in us that we don't compare to somebody else that we pull out of ourselves. And that thing, when you arrive at the, the place in your life where you really feel purpose, you really feel conviction. I can look back in my life and see how every peak, every valley, every win, every loss, every struggle, every challenge prepared me for where I am right now. And that's been more of a, a revelation. It's kind of also very, very sobering because and humbling because it while people see one thing, I tell people I'm watching God. Just I'm watching in this stream of time, some amazing things happen. And I'm happy and grateful that he chose to use me. I love the idea of running your own race and looking back. But let's move forward. It's 2030. If Newsweek, Fortune, Business Week were to write a headline about Utopia Plastics, what would you like it to read? I would like it to say 
We can create the world we want to see if we just believe it's possible and we understand that we're better together. Better together. It's a beautiful thought. Now, one of the things I want to ask you about also is the new upcoming CNB series. Can you share with the audience what that is? So um, CNBC has a network series, Advancements TV. Um, On the 24th of September, they'll be here in Oklahoma filming for the Advancement TV series that will air the third quarter of this year. And it has been identified that Utopia Plastics truly is a sustainable alternative to or solution to address our plastic waste and also the model that we have in place is truly a sustainable ecosystem model. So we'll have an opportunity to talk with manufacturers. I'll be there on the series as well. And it's an educational series to kind of talk about where, how agriculture um, crops can be used to make an impact, not just only in the plastic space, but in other developments for our future. And do you have some idea when the show will air? Um, we've just been given the time frame that it'll be the third quarter of, I mean, the last quarter of this year. So we, the fourth quarter is when it will air. And again, we record it here in Oklahoma on the 24th of September. Well, good luck with that recording. Thank you. Now, last question. And if people have been listening, you've already shared some, quite a bit of advice. But if you could share some advice, and it could be professional or personal with the audience, what would it be? You got to always keep in focus what your goal is and be open to not being so narrowly focused that you're not paying attention to the broader opportunity, but also not be so broad that you're not seeing where you might be being guided or directed and um, that you have to be paying attention to um, changes pay attention. If I'm going to give advice from the business world, people that um, were stuck and didn't weren't paying attention to the market that they were in or the industry shifts, things like COVID and lack of um, resources in their supply chain create a challenges for them and their business not know how to pivot. Avoid get doing that by constantly paying attention to Um, information in the market segment that you're in or the industry that you're in. Also, this is the best time, I believe, for young people, for minorities, um, people who had felt disadvantaged. This is the perfect stream of time and place and time to be able to make an impact. And I encourage you to tap into what's inside of you and not believe that there are these barriers that will prevent you, but um, use the free information that's given. We have an access to a lot of information through the internet, now through social platforms. I encourage you to, to tap into those things to create the tomorrow that you want. Tap into what's inside of you. Great place to end. Sharina, I appreciate your time today, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you so much, Raj. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. 
If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.